Like the commercial says, life comes at you fast. When it does, creativity kicks into high gear. Even when life comes at you more slowly, as in the growth and development of one's child, we have to dig deep and think differently. In this episode of Dialogues with Creators, we finish our conversation with Susanna Mancy of Ringgold, Georgia, as she tells her story of meeting the needs of her son when he was diagnosed with autism. We continue our conversation today with Susanna Mancy of Ringgold, Georgia, and hear more of her journey with her son and autism spectrum disorder. We really appreciate your listening. And I did want to say at this point that just in case anybody is wondering that Samuel is okay with you talking about him, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we are um we are an extremely I will tell you again, like I said, in the very beginning when he was diagnosed, there was a pyramid of emotions to to handle. And over the years, another pyramid of that is hearing the opinions of people, well, you're just going to label him or you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And then people also, as as IQ wise, as smart as he is and as well as he does, people will say, he doesn't have autism. You know, we hear that a lot too. And um, people, you know, say what they want to say. But what we chose to do in our world, and, and I respect what everyone chooses to do. Um, but in our family, we felt it was best that Samuel just accept who he is and not, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I I grew up in my family. My sister um, came down, they called it juvenile diabetes at the time, but my sister um, had diabetes since she was three years old. Mm-hmm. That was our world. I didn't know any different, you know, from insulin to strips to, you know, test your blood sugar. So it was normal. And, you know, I, I feel like that was a blessing because when I found out with Samuel, I felt automatically like, OK, well, this is just our world now. Um, and so with Samuel saying that it's, you know, he's OK with it, I want him to be comfortable with who he is. It doesn't define him. And that's how I also tell him, I said, you know, just like I told you with my sister, that's what I've told him. She has diabetes, but it doesn't define her. It doesn't stop her from being and doing what she wants to do in this world. It might mean she has to do a little extra. And and there are things that we have to all accept that we can't do because it just isn't going to happen sometimes. But, you know, that's, he's accepted it. So as far as speaking about it, I want him to also be comfortable. And so, you know, he is, he, he's, and that's just how we've chose to approach this. And, you know, some people be like, ah, you might not want to say anything. Well, why? There's nothing to be ashamed of it. Um, And I think it helps other people when they do know. I think it helps other people to be a little more understanding when they might not have been that understanding in the beginning um, one example I'll tell you, which I, I, I kind of cringe sometimes when things happen because it's out of my hands now at the time at eight years. Um, he has a scribe pen that he uses for college classes. That's one of his, he uses that to help take notes. And so he, it's a safety net for him right now 
um, because he doesn't always use it and necessarily have to use it, but he chooses to. Mm-hmm. Well, the other day, he left it in the classroom after the class was over and he he got to the car and he panicked. He's like, I lost my pen, I lost my pen. Um, and I was worried about it because he went back up to the room and there was a class that had already started. So he calls me on the phone. He said, there's already a class. There's already a class. I said, okay, think it through. What do you think is important? I said, you know, go ahead and get in the pens. We have to talk through these things. And so he's on the phone with me, you know, asking me and trying to figure this out, problem solving. And so it was lucky enough, he didn't have to go in the classroom, but he was trying to work through that process of how would he do it? And then you also have that social aspect of if you open that door and that professor gets upset, how do you handle that? And, you know, they're not going to know Samuel has his concerns. They're just going to see him as another student, which they should. But someone that might know that might be a little more understanding if he was to come into the classroom. Um, but you can't wear a sign. You know, nobody has this little blinking sign. And so you're trying to constantly teach. Um, how do you handle this situation? You know, and it, it might not go because just because we say this is how you handle it doesn't mean it's always going to turn out the way you say it's going to turn out. But luckily enough, the pin had fell in the hallway right outside the door. Mm-hmm. And another professor that did know him was walking by and happened to see him and said, oh, what are you doing? And he said, look at a pin. And and the professor noticed it was on the floor and said, oh, well, look here, you know, and. So it turned out fine. So I, that scenario would have never crossed my mind. <laughs> is it a special kind of pen or is it just his pen? Well, that's the other thing. It is a special pen. It's called Scribe. Uh-huh. And what it does is you have to um, use a special notebook that takes the notes. And so that will turn it into a digital form. And it also records the um, classroom when it's going on for the lecture. So he can go back and also not only visually see it on a digital platform, but he can also verbally hear it. So he can go back if he's missed anything mm-hmm. or he, you know, his handwriting gets interesting at times. So he can go back and say, okay, that's what I meant to write, not this. Um, so that was one of the accommodations that he received through the services. Um, and so we purchased that for him to to help him take notes and also um, not feel so anxious about missing something in the classroom. Cause um the one thing about the autism world, um, you'll hear this, or if you haven't heard it, and and I don't know, with your brother, they say once you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's so true. But you also have to understand not just that comment, but every person is different. Every mm-hmm. person is their own unique self, along with this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I appreciate you saying that because... First of all, I, I'm throwing some things here. I'm not one of those things. <laughs> one of those scribe things. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, and there's a, there's a movement now. I mean, it's been around for a while in, in higher ed and other places called universal design, where a lot of the things that people have used in the disability world, uh, you know, should be available for everybody. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't want to know. One of the one of the therapies that we did was ABA, which is a applied behavior analysis. I believe every school system yeah. should have that in elementary. I just it just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And then the the other is that 
uh, I have a real, I mean, I have issues with the media anyway, but I have a real issue with media and Hollywood portrayals of, of anyone with a disability or a mental illness like uh, bipolar. You know, they always come up with this certain way bipolar people are. And it's like you say, you meet one, that doesn't mean you've met them all. And with autism, especially because we're Asperger's, there's so much of a, and please don't take this wrong, this is my version of it, is they portray them as jerks. Right. That that they don't have any social skills and so they're just rude and inappropriate and and or you get the extreme of the Dustin Hoffman Rain Man thing. Right. Right. You, know, you have you have that that spectrum of that kind of behavior. And it just I think they're doing a little better now, but for the longest time, they it was just horrible the way that, you know, was, oh, here's another thing we can have a movie about and and be, you know, and make it something that it's not. And um, it's just uh, just so annoying. But the other thing is that you, you've and this gets into the creativity aspect of, of this podcast, too, is that you've you've talked about how you would you know, do scenarios with him or role play. And, you know, I imagine a lot of times you have to kind of, or you've had to sort of predict, okay, we're going into this new situation. What might I need to prepare him for? Am I getting that right? Every time, it it happens so often now, it it feels normal. Um, We, uh, so we went from the high school portion. Every every transition that took place, we would go to each school that he had to go to, and we would go through um, asking if we could come ahead of time, walk through the school, do things. But like I said, Catoosa County was amazing about that. They they you know they were prepared, they were welcoming. So anytime I asked for any of that, they were very good about each school that I would go to. They would meet with us and have him come through, meet some of the teachers ahead of time. You know where they have like uh, open house. I would ask, can we come, you know, a day ahead of time when there's not so much, you know, going on right. so that he has an opportunity just to walk through the hall, just kind of meet somebody. I said, I, you know, I don't want to take a bunch of time with you, but just, you know, trying to get the lay of the land. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those kind of things. So once high school um, was done, we also did that with looking for colleges. We started talking about transitioning to college. Um, and Samuel thought in his mind, he honestly saw high school is the end. He, he, he couldn't see beyond that, um, at a certain point. He felt that he had seen shows where after kids get out of high school, it, that you just, it, you have, and then I, I think the other anxiety that came with that was they start asking kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And so in that thought, Samuel's the whole time hearing this and he doesn't know what he wants to be. He says, I don't know. I don't know. And he gets anxious because he thinks he should. He's like, everybody else knows what they want. And I said, no, they don't. You know, and he's, he gets excited on that. And I was like, I've done this a long time. They think they know what they want. <laughs> right. And um, so by high school, he was getting nervous because each year was coming along and when COVID hit, he was in his, he was sophomore year, right? And um, so I, I'm trying to, was it sophomore and end of sophomore? Mm-hmm. And he did his complete year, junior year, we did at home. 
Um, yeah. So, but Samuel was so academically gifted at that point. His counselor said uh, we were doing a program called Apex, and it was, uh, it was just. I'm thinking, oh, he's doing all this work for this, you know. And um, she started talking to us and everything, and she said, you know, everything he's doing, he he's got the ability to to do dual enrollment. She's like, why don't we consider, you know? So he wound up doing dual enrollment with shorter um, university. It was the best thing we ever did. Um, I really thought he might be ready for that during his senior year, but it wound up COVID actually pushed him being on the digital platform more, doing more independent work. And that's also something being more motivated. Um, so it, it was his environment and he didn't have all that distraction of the social skills and the the kids and the teachers. And he was in his world. And, and it kind of scared me because I thought, oh, I'll never get him to go back to school. <laughs> Cause he liked it. He liked, you know, he liked that environment of his own, but he, the one thing too about St. Ola is he wants to be social. He, he really wants to be social. He's just socially awkward. Yeah. Um, he really, um, looks, he wants to be friends with people. Mm-hmm. So all of that taking place, it just kind of drove, it drove him. But when we started back, it was still that transitioning of, you know, constantly planning things out, but He's taken driving classes. Um, I've put him in driving school twice. He knows everything about it is to drive, but his anxiety overwhelms him when he gets behind the wheel of the car. Um, the the whole process of thinking ahead. If I come to a four way stop sign and somebody takes their turn when they're not supposed to, do I still go? Do I do this? Do I do that? Um, you know, he 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 overthinks it. Um. So those are the anxiety is really, you know, in trying to plan things that all we go through, like you said, the creativeness. Um, so some of the things that Samuel does, and he doesn't mind me telling these things. Um, like I said, he had a beautiful, he has a beautiful singing voice. So he tends to like to talk to himself in the mirror sometimes. And he likes to sing to himself and he likes to hear his voice. So a lot of times he'll repeat things over and over. He'll get stuck on a song and he'll sing it all through the house. Well, and he also talks a lot. And so what we did was I had him volunteering for the public library. And in the summer we would go and he would do the reading program for the children. And so I said, okay, here's your chance to use your voices and, you know, use that skill that you have. I said that talent and let's let everybody else share it. Hmm. So taking something that, people would think is odd we you know i had to figure out how to turn it into something productive for him and also confidence building because that's also something that he you know is a challenge and he struggles with is his confidence um so volunteering at the library and reading to the children he also during high school they encouraged when school was going when he went back his senior year they were encouraging clubs they encouraged the, the young people to try to create clubs and have the teacher sponsor. I said, Samuel, you should, because over time, what I'd done was we found out he liked, he didn't care for Legos, but because he liked that common Rider story I was telling you about, mm-hmm. I've started noticing he liked figure arts and stuff, and he likes comic books and, and such, and he got involved in um, cosplay. He likes cosplay. And so we started getting i noticed that they had um if, you know how bottle kit cars you know how people used to put yeah. cars together well now they have um the model kits for the asian type 
TV shows and so forth. And one of the biggest ones was Gundam. I tried to get him into Gundam for a little while and he finally considered it. And once he did that, I was able to buy him a Gundam kit. This was another creative point where I had to try to, I was trying to help build on his motor skills, trying to find out something to focus on something, find a hobby, find something that he could find his own interest in. And I thought, okay, let's try this. We got into those model kits and he just, he went wild. He he loved it. And so his motor skills began to build. And so he started working with scissors and he started snipping things. And so he would spend hours working on his model kit. And he would also start being creative himself and start wanting to paint things. That he, and he'd never, like my child, when he was in elementary school, he colored with one color, red. He didn't want any colors. He just wanted red. And his first grade teacher told me the biggest thing that I took with me. She said, you pick your battles. And mm-hmm. so when he had worksheets that he had to do and they had to color them, he would color them all red. She said, as long as he's doing the objective of what he understands, what he's doing, I don't care what color it is. <laughs> yeah. But she told me then early to pick your battles. And so that's what I've done. Um so the creativeness of his voices and that echo lately, we've tried to turn it into something he can share with others. Mm-hmm. The motor skills, we found the the model kits that interest him because it interests him from those TV shows that he likes so well. And then the cosplay, I found out uh, they have a cosplay in Chattanooga called Connuga once a year in February. Yeah. So that's his Christmas gift. I say, I'll buy you tickets for February to go to Connuga. And he likes to figure out what costume to wear. And so we'll talk about what costume and what would be appropriate and what's okay. And so he loves to dress up to go do those. What does he pick? He likes, um, and this is another thing for for a lot of young people, he likes anime. So he'll eat it to different anime series. Yeah. And um, I, I, I'd probably be bad if I repeated which ones, but I, I don't remember one. <laughs> well, I, would, I wouldn't know what it was anyway. So, well, I have. Yeah, we I actually still um, I monitor what he watches because we have to have that discussion. He and I, you know, most anime are Japanese culture mm-hmm. and the culture is different uh, the way the Japanese culture is for the American culture. Some things are more acceptable than others. And so we discuss that and talk about, you know, what do you see and how do you understand this? And we just have that discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things are just not okay. I I just, you know, some of the acceptable content that they'll allow on anime, I just, Mm -hmm. in our family, I don't think it's uh, appropriate. (laughs) Sure. So... That's very interesting. The the ways that you're you've helped his creativity and you're expanding yours. And one thing that uh, you know we talk about in education in general, but I think it applies here is that we so often come from what's called a deficit model uh, of what the student cannot do and how we're going to try to undo that as opposed to a strengths model of what they can do and learn that. And it's it's a whole different, I mean, it's, I'm sure some people say, what's a big deal there? But it is very different right. from, 
from, you know, I think about uh, students we have at Dalton State, a lot of students who are Hispanic and people. So their English might not be as. As much as a native speaker would be, I have not found that to be the case, but in some cases it is their English is second language. So we see that as a deficit, which it's not. They already all speak their language. So they're bilingual. That's right. not a deficit. That's definitely not a deficit. I would love to be able to speak more than one language. So, um, you know, and on top of the fact that they come from a different culture, different family structure sometimes, different ways of relating in their community. And those are not, uh, I remember when I first started teaching at Dalton State, and maybe I'm going to be a little too uh, honest here, that that we would have little workshops and it was almost like the deficit model. Well, you have to understand that they do this and they do that. And now I see how foolish that was because it was always, well, they're just not quite, you know, the folks in the Hispanic community are just not quite up to our standard. Well, no, not, no, (laughs) that's the wrong. And, and it's interesting because now uh, recently, I think that, Autism is now thought of as neurodiverse, right? Diversity as a and the way neurologically they perceive and experience the world, and they do it in some ways that w- would augment us, would add to us if we could understand it. So. Well, and that that's the one thing, Samuel. <laughs> Samuel pushes me to be creative. Um, <laughs> when. Because I have looked at the world in a certain way. Also, the generation that I came from was I was a do as I say, not as I do generation. Um, It's also I've had to learn and through the therapies that he's had, such as you just mentioned with um, it it reminds me a lot. I go back to the ABA because an example is, let's say we say, don't don't run down the hallway. Instead Mm -hmm. of saying that, you would say, let's use our walking feet. You know, it's just you're asking the same, but you're switching it more into a positive um, form. And I also we, I go through what they call ABCs. It's um, antecedents and behavior and consequences. You know, so you go through constantly what caused this, what could be going on, what behavior is coming out of that. Um, so it was a constant process of things. And, and you know, I fought so many things for so long. Um the common writer show about drove me insane at first because <laughs> and I thought oh should we not talk you know I would try to change the subject over and over and it would go right back to that you know come right back and I'd say okay okay don't you know like if you can't beat them join them so I thought let me figure this out and I started finding ways there's different things like the Power Rangers have different themes you know one's a dinosaur one's a race car one's this the same thing goes with the common writer so I found different themes and then I would say, oh, you know what? That reminds me of so-and-so or such-and-such. And And I said, what about this? And so over time, he's moved on to learning like, I found out there's a connection of like mythology. He loves mythology. He loves uh, fairy tales. And so we started getting in and little by little, we would gradually move to that. But it was because he taught me that I had to enter his world first, not the other way. Um, and so that's what you said. I was the one that had the deficit because I just couldn't wrap my mind around what I had been taught how to do things for so long growing up myself that I had to be. And that was also discipline, um, trying to learn 
how do I handle um, tantrums when he was younger? Yeah. You know, I was told he was a strong minded child and many of my elders were telling me how I needed to discipline him. And and I'm, I'm ashamed to say I, I did, you know, I did the whipping. I did the, you know, trying to make sure this and that, trying to, especially with his father being gone, I felt like I had to do both parenting, you know, be sure. brother and father. Um, but as I learned, there was a whole nother way of discipline, you know, and it was more, hey, you know what, if you'll do this, we're going to figure out what you can earn from this. Mm. So we did a token system. We also did some of that and um, learning responsibilities of, you know, if you'll eat something on your plate, just give me one bite, you know, because those are sensory issues too, like mashed potatoes, you know, the mushy stuff just made him gag. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I remember that was uh, Temple Grandin. That was something when I read her book that she she didn't eat much. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. nothing sense the sensory uh, sense was right for her. Right. Yeah, you she, you create a lot she like Jello? I ate a lot of Jello, <laughs> yeah. which is like okay, sure. <laughs> well. well it, we went, we got out of the hospital. So we're here we are now after COVID, you know, trying to transition him back into the social light of things. And now it's his senior year and he's anxious about this is the end of this is the end of the road. There's nowhere else to go. And I keep explaining to him that's not your it's. And so I had to go back to that creative thought because, you know, he also plays video games. So in my mind, I had to also speak to him the level he was thinking of. How does he see this? I said, you know, it's like a level in a video game. You go from one level to the next. And I said, so you're trying to get to the next thing to get to the princess or whatever it may be, you know, that video game. I said, so this is the next step, you know, and so explaining it in that fashion. And as intelligent as he is, because he's extremely intelligent, you still have to understand how he's processing it, how Mm -hmm. he's understanding it. Um. And that's not easy. <laughs> it's really not. But we started the process by um, little by little doing like the ACT testing, you know, and trying to get that implemented. Um, I explained to him how he had done the enrollment. I said, you're already doing college. You know, you're already you're already there. You, you know what it's about. Mm-hmm. So I said, now that the time is, let's talk about where do you want to go and what are your expectations? Um, so we sat down and it would just overwhelm him to think about living on a dorm. He, he just, he would, he said, I just can't, I can't do that. I can't, you know, so we would take him to the dorms when we would go for the visits and we would go through them and talk about how cool they are. And but it just, it wasn't clicking yet, you know, still has. Um, and I thought, well, what is my goal? Is my goal to have him concentrate on his classes or stress out all the time about living in a room. <laughs> so I felt it was more important to let him focus on his studies. Right. Mm-hmm. So we finally narrowed it down to two colleges. Um, I, I We considered shorter because he'd already started dual enrollment and it was a smaller college. We'd already figured out he wasn't probably going to go off anywhere, obviously, because he wasn't even willing to live in a dorm. And by that time, he's also not willing to drive. He, he's too anxious to drive. So we don't have the transportation. And I can't guarantee that he's not going to just completely melt down in a dorm room and never go to class. <laughs> so I put those off the table. Okay, we're going to do something local. 
And by that time, he started learning that he had made scholarships. So he earned the Zell Miller scholarship and so forth, and he's done well. So we talked about financial also aspects. So it got narrowed down to UTC or Dalton State. And they're both the same distance from us. One is across the border to Tennessee, and the other one is here locally in Georgia. So we went to visit both of them. He liked both of them. He really did. Um, but he had gone through the Chattanooga Autism Center, like he had come to when he spoke for, you know, when you had him come. He had gone to the Chattanooga Autism Center. He had been having a lot of anxious issues at the time, and he had been seeing a counselor, and they had tried to be moving through what he'd want to do, you know, and trying to see that light at the end of the tunnel after high school, but there's still another light. <laughs> So they finally figured out he thought he was interested in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Well, they worked and worked and went through all different things. Well, by that time, you know, he was he was past uh, the age of most camps for anything. We'll come to find out um, the Georgia Film Academy allowed them to come if they were a graduate of high school and they could come down and do the camp. So it was through the Autism Center that actually encouraged that. And I said, okay, this is going to be interesting, but, you know, we got to figure it out. So. You know, staying in a hotel room for two weeks because you can't travel back, you know, every day for three hours back and forth, back and forth. So we chose to stay down there and just, you know, it was kind of like, okay, here's here's what it's going to be. I want, to, and he said, mom, I don't know if I can do it. I said, well, I'd rather you know if this is something you're interested in or not than, you know, you ever wondering. So we did it. And that's just really kind of, it, it was, he met his group though. I, I will tell you, the film industry those children were such a, it was just a melting pot of people. And they were quirky. They were serious. They were this. They were, I mean, every, every personality you could meet. And it was so wonderful. And he had such a great time. And so when he got back, he realized UTC didn't have the film um, area. They had graphic arts. It's what kind of piqued his interest there. So, but the thing that for us was the UTC had a program called Mosaic. And the Mosaic program is a, it's a different uh, program that's set up for young adults on the spectrum. And it actually includes, they, they have their own components that help them also. They have a course um, system set up for them to go through that's specifically designed for young adults on the spectrum. They also have mentors that lead them through different processes. So that's part of their academic day is with this particular a program that they have. That was really what I would love to see because it helps to build on that independence for Samuel. Um, but he really wanted to do the film. Mm -hmm. And so when we came down to Dalton, he really did well there too. And honestly, the staff was so welcoming and so helpful. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because when we came to um, listen to the other professors that came to speak, they they were encouraging, you know, telling parents. And what was really funny was I was hearing I wasn't the only parent. I, was wor I wasn't expected to do anything for Samuel, but I was noticing some of the professors were saying, Mom, Dad. Don't email us and tell us, you know, little Johnny's sick. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yes. I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that, but I'm glad there's other parents in here that do that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, and their kid's not on the spectrum. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So I'm noticing that we also are in a uh, world where parents are, they tend to do more for their kids than they used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so kids are having a hard time being more independent. They're also, ones that aren't diagnosed with anything are also having a more difficult time with social skills. Yes. And um, so it seems like me. the anxiety is really, it's, it's, it's a tough one for us, for professors, because we're not trained as psychologists. Right. Well, some of them are, I guess, but, um, and we want to, we want to be helpful, but sometimes we, we just don't understand where this is coming from, you know. Well, and the social skills that I possibly try to teach Samuel, um, the the peer group around him don't even have those social skills. And so he's, he's you know, he's explaining to me, well, that's not what everybody else is doing. And, and I said, well, they should be, <laughs> you know. Um, Can you give me an example? <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> I, one is when he receives, if he sends an email to a professor mm-hmm. and he is asking a question or he needs, you know, confirmation about something and the professor emails him back. I say, make sure to send a thank you or correspond that you received that because it's the proper thing to do to one, let them know you received it. But the other thing is just polite. Uh You know, it's good manners. Um, Teaching my son good manners. And I I tell him that's, you know, and I see so many times um, they just don't do that. Right. Um, You know, it's just that communication of and that's social skills, you know, through the communication portion. And that, again, brings me back and up jumping a little bit. But because Samuel wanted to do the film, mm-hmm. he's doing the communications program, right? So he, right. Have, he so I, we we have chuckled at this a little bit because I think it's a blessing, honestly, because some people be like, oh, you know, if, if social skills is such a, a challenge for him, then why would he go into communication? I think it's wonderful. I think it's one more way that he's going to learn how to better communicate with people on different, on all different levels. Mm-hmm. And I do believe because um, one of Samuel's now, you know, they talk about children that are, that have autism. Some have artistic abilities where they can just draw amazing pictures and so forth, or they have certain abilities, you know, um, they can play the piano from the day they were born. Samuel has a vocabulary he just he came out of the womb knowing words he mm-hmm. he just he's a walking dictionary of some sort and and he he's a good writer he he's he's good with the written word um and he's he's a perfectionist at times and that's what takes him so long to do things because he he really cares about what he puts down mm-hmm. um and so the communication i i really think that's the area he mm-hmm. is fit for which is ironic because, you know, because he is in the world of, of the whole communications for his social skills and so forth. But I think it's just going to help him even more in life. Okay. That's, that's good to know. I, I appreciate that. Um, and he's, he started this semester in, in the program. And uh, I understand that's going really well. It has gone well. Um, he's actually done. He he finished his final and he had to turn in his final project. And I know he made an A, but I, I think his grade was a hundred. I, I think that's. I mean, that's not just a ninety. He he aced it. Um, and he enjoyed it. So he he's completed that class. Um, 
So he's he's got one more week left of, of uh, finals to take, but and he has just really. Um, this is his first year at Dalton. He's finished, and, and it's kind of interesting. We're telling you know you're done with your freshman year. It's the next phase. You know you you've leveled up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what he went in dreading, he now is looking forward to, and he has built so much confidence. Um, I can see so much changing with him, but it's the atmosphere of the professors that he has received. I just can't even explain what that did for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he did the work. I know it's, you know, he, he had to also be part of that whole process, but, and, and mom can always tell him things. Mom can encourage mom can be a cheerleader, but mom is always mom. It doesn't matter what degrees I have, what experience I have, you know, um, I'm still mom to him. And that's the other, other thing with seeing old with him in his uh, spectrum. He gives you instant credibility of what your title is. And that to me is amazing because people have to prove themselves to me, right? Usually it's <laughs> kind of proof. Yeah. But if you say you are Dr. So-and-so of this department, he sees you automatically as that's your specialty. Yeah. He gives that instantaneously. Um. So for a professor to encourage him to do the things they do, that's different than what mom can tell him. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, that's that's I don't I, that that's understandable. So, OK, well, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad to hear that he's having such a good experience. That means a lot to me as someone who works here. Um, <laughs> I think at this point, the question I'd like to ask you is you have an incredible I mean, amount of wisdom. And I would love to see you write about this because you have so much wisdom, which you've been through. So um, do you have advice for parents of a child who's would be, you know, gets that diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder? Well, I would say if they are usually there'll be a younger child at the time if if everyone is paying attention to what's happening. Yeah. Um, early intervention. I cannot emphasize that enough. That was our saving. I do believe the multifaceted of people and program that we chose to keep Singer involved just made all the difference. I really do believe that. And we chose to keep him in public schools. We had options to do other. I could have homeschooled. I could have put him in private schools. I could, you know, and that's choices people have to make. But for us, education-wise, I felt public school was more important for Samuel because of the social skill aspect, because I want him to be in the world. I believe he can be a functioning, uh, productive functioning, you know, adult in this world. And unless I put him in this world, I can't put a bubble around him. He's got to learn. And I feel public school is is what life is. Mm -hmm. You're and especially socially, you have to be able to interact with everybody from every background as much as possible. It it takes patience and mm -hmm. also be okay to learn new things yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know. And here's the thing, go with the flow. 
we were told that some medicine therapy go with the flow because you can't predict what's going to happen every time you turn around and you're going to, you know, there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. And I also just the fact that um, my husband has been huge about supporting this whole process. It takes, it's taken both of us. It's taken a village as they say, it really has. Um, I'm not perfect at everything, but and it's a continual process too. We're not done yet. Um, it's a stage. Every every chance I get, there's a stage because now Samuel's a young adult, and we just hit that part where he's he's 18. So now we talk about well, you're legal. You know, all your choices. Our consequences that mommy and daddy can't change. We can't do anything about. And he lives in this world of things that now we're moving forward to what it means to be a young adult, to find a career, to pay your bills. You know, every every um, parent wants their child to be a productive citizen. Mm-hmm. But I would say pay attention. Um, the one thing that I, I go back and I, I noticed in Dr. Vargas after she had told me the diagnosis, she patted me on the back in the hallway and she said, you were paying attention, mom, no. you know, and, and that really made a difference to me. And I don't, you know, cause my husband was at home to see that and it wasn't by his choice. It was, you know, we were, he may or may not have noticed things, but there's just certain things. If you feel it in your gut, yeah, it's okay to go and have an evaluation. It's okay and don't worry about labels or this or that, because honestly, if I had not have gone and I had worried about what label he was going to get, he would have never got the help he deserved to get. Mm-hmm. That is really good. Um, we're so afraid of those labels. In fact, I know that, and I know this, this, there's so much more you, you will get into. I think that there's so much even now, political controversy about, uh, which is a whole nother podcast, that, you know, we, but there's so much of that and, and discussions of the, the, where it comes from. And we want, you know, everybody knows about that. And, um, and like you said, originally it was the refrigerator moms, you know, and I remember thinking of my mom and, and, hearing that when my brother was younger and I think that's so mean my mother's not that way my right right kind and um you know the the stupid judgments that people make or this the the oh, so many of those things that you really have to come to a this is my child and we're going to do what's best for for him or her you know and 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 have a long view of it instead of you know, so much of the nonsense you hear. Uh, I, th- I just think it's heartbreaking, a lot of it. It is. And and the other thing, too, that we, you know, we've heard, too, as time has progressed, it's always the question of, well, do they really have autism or is it just because um, the the diagnosis now, you know, people just, well, it's all, everybody wants to get on board. Everybody has, you know, that whole comment about everybody, ha- everybody's child has ADHD now and everybody's child has autism now. And um, you know, it, you just really, everybody has to make decisions for their own child. And 
you know, Sam will takes, and, and I know he's okay with me saying this. I do know this. Um, for the ADHD, he takes medication. Um, and it's not something that's not my first choice I would have made. Uh, we've tried everything to try that to be not an option. Um, but, and, and it was because I thought I was, you know, to, to have my child on a medication. It just, it broke my heart. But I will tell you this. I have watched from afar, like I said, I was in the school helping to mentor and volunteer. I watched the children where, and, and that was a choice that, that families have made, and I respect that. But my child was able to be able to have the potential to pay attention and work on things. And even as awkward as he was socially, somewhat still interact with other children and have a normal, somewhat functioning day than the ones that just could not even function in the classroom. They had to be removed sometimes because they were so distracted to themselves and to others that they couldn't even learn and couldn't be a part of that. And it just, you know, I'm glad that Samuel was able to do that. And we were able to do that because we chose to um, and I was very careful about medications because it was a process, too, for ADHD. You know, you don't just get one medication for that and it fits for everybody. It's a process, too. So we went through three, almost four different medicines before we found what worked for him. Um, and I'm still, you know, there'll be a day that I hope that he won't have to take it. And we work on that process, too. But the other thing is, too, um, while he was younger because of the anxiety levels, we were um, suggested that he started anxiety medicine. We tried that at a young age. However, he actually developed um, signs of serotonin syndrome. And it was really scary. And so at that point, I just, I thought, no, we'll try to, we'll cope with it other ways because it's not worth knowing what can happen from that process. And that was my child. Like I said, everyone is different. You know, you have to take each one. For, for, you know, what can happen, because, you you know, that when you start talking about medications, that's a whole nother level of things, too. Mm-hmm. But um, but I do know it, I saw the difference at Samuel because I've seen him without it when he was younger after so long. And I've seen him with it. And it just made it. It really made a difference for him. Mm-hmm. And it's not. But it wasn't. Again, it's still not my first choice. And people think that you just want to, you know, put your kid on mess and to, you know, not have to watch them or put up with them. And that's not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's easy for other people to have opinions. (laughs) Yes. And and I try my best now with our situation. um, And I even preach this to Samuel. It's one thing to talk about something, but until you're in those shoes, you really don't know what you'll do. Mm-hmm. You really don't. And and we've had, you know, tears of <sighs> a multitude of tears for different emotions. <laughs> you know, um, days that he and I just cried together because we've we've had really hard days and days that we've cried of joy because we've celebrated. Um you know, it just it's an emotional roller coaster at times, but um, I'm proud of him. He's you know, you sit here and ask me the things and you talk about the art of parenting. But honestly, um, he he is really 
Uh-huh. He's an, he's pretty amazing. And I and I know that he's my son, but he's an amazing young man. He really is. And mm-hmm. unless he was willing to do some of these things and also wanted to be the better person that he is, it wouldn't have been possible. He had to be he had to be, per, you know, participating in that. He had to want to have that. Mm-hmm. And he does. He has a drive of wanting more and better for himself. And and that's what makes my job work. <laughs> and do we ever stop being parents? I mean, it, no, no. My son is 34, so. <laughs> no, so far, no. <laughs> that's the thing. It'll, it'll continue. And, and, you know, I still call my parents. I still, there are days, you know, I, I speak to my mother and father almost every day just to, you know, to speak to them and say hello. And, and as far as the grandparent scenario when this with autism, it, it's a whole nother world itself too, because they're from a whole nother generation. So believe me, that conversation gets interesting too. <laughs> they don't understand why Samuel's still not driving. They don't understand why he's not living in a dorm, you know, mm-hmm. um, just different things. And, and I have to be able to also love and respect my parents and tell them also, well, that's our world. You know, and and I appreciate your input and I love that you support us. But, you know, this is something we do in our home. (laughs) And I want to thank you for what you've shared with us. I believe this will be so helpful to folks. And I hope that people who listen to it share it with other people uh, through social media channels because I think what you what you have to say is so important and I really appreciate you speaking so transparently and so honestly and in depth about your journey and your husband's journey and Samuel's experience uh over the last 20 years (laughs) and uh it's and and 20 and 30 and 40 more years to come, I'm sure. Um, so I I want to thank you for this time. And um, I believe this will be an uplift and encouragement to listeners. So um, thank you very much, Susanna. Thank you for having me. Thank you for choosing this final episode of Spring 2023 for Dialogues with Creators. We really appreciate your listening. Bye-bye.